This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Mindari Wall. And welcome to The Loop. Min, in the headlines again this week, um, we're covering more incidents of Islamic hate in right. the city. And you've been here for decades now. You've worked as a reporter for years. What has your experience been? Absolutely. I mean, I've grown up here uh, for most of my life and uh, worked here in the media for, I would say, going on just over 20 years. It's been a minute. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. So uh, and even growing up in Millwoods, you know, um, uh, since I was about 10 or 11. uh, So I've seen a lot of things. uh, And these incidents that are happening, I don't recall uh, covering these kinds of stories in the late 90s or early 2000s. Um, of course, a lot has changed since then. Yeah. Um, whether it be, uh, you know, the phones that we have in our hands or the social platforms where we see all kinds of people putting stuff out. But, uh, I, I mean, it is concerning. For me, personally, it is concerning as a minority to see this happening. I think it's concerning to anybody who calls Edmonton home uh, because I don't think it was ever always like this. Uh, now we just seem to be seeing these events uh, coming up more often. And um, and we, we all have to do our part to, to try and prevent them from happening. Yeah, what we're seeing has changed the way we talk about what we're seeing has changed, you know, following uh, the London attacks with the Afzal family. I think that struck everyone nationally. But mm-hmm. then here right at home, we saw an attack in the city, an assault on a black Muslim woman wearing a hijab on Friday night. And just days later, then the Batul Hadi Mosque in Otwell was vandalized with a swastika symbol. Um, here's a clip from Humayun Ahmed, president of the Batul Hadi Mosque. Uh, it's troubling for us uh, Muslims because most of these, uh, actually all of these that have happened in the recent past are um, driven uh, towards uh, Muslims, whether it was the horrible act in London, Ontario, uh, or the recent uh, um, uh, incidents in uh, Edmonton and Calgary. Um, but uh, I would like to say that we are a religious community. Our motto in the, um, uh, from the MDM Muslim Jamaat is love for all, hatred for none. And according to us, the solution to this hatred lies in creating the realization that we are all, all humans are siblings. And the skin, uh, color of our skin or our uh, difference in our faith uh, does not make us uh, adversaries. So it is being investigated by police and EPS have said similar instances of symbols on mosques have been reported in recent weeks. And I think it's right. a, an important reminder right now that Edmonton has a lot of its own work to do. Yeah, we, we certainly do. And I think, uh, you know, the fact that police are investigating is is very reassuring to uh, this community, to members of the community where those attacks happened. Um, and I think that's very important. And I think the allies and the support that we've seen from people from across the board, yeah. I think that is important too. And uh, I think that's going to help tackle this problem because yeah. that's what it's become, right? I mean, six attacks on black Muslim women, you know, what is going on? The fact that community leaders are saying that it's it's not surprising, it hurts for me to hear that uh, in this day and age because I grew up where, where I didn't hear community leaders having to say that, right? So yeah. uh, there certainly has been a shift and um, it does, I think, a lot of it come down to a lot of misinformation that's out there. I mean, you know, go into a mosque. You're allowed to. Go into a gurdwara. Go into a synagogue. You're, you're allowed to go in there and, and just talk to people and find out where they're coming from, yeah. you know? The, their doors are wide open, twenty four seven. I mean, that that's that's all I think people need to do if if they're uh, you know not sure about why a person's wearing a hijab or why a person's wearing a turban or or whatever. Just get some get some information, and yeah. I, I think you know that'll hopefully help. 
Yeah. It is interesting in, in this moment right now, because this is also kind of unfolding on a political level um, and in political spheres. So Tim Upple, conservative MP for Millwoods, posted an apology online for a policy that he championed in 2015, which, Mm -hmm. um, as we remember, included an effort to ban face coverings like the niqab during citizenship ceremonies. It is also worth noting this was a policy introduced by then Federal Minister for Multiculturalism, Jason Kenney. But uh, here's a clip of Upple on Edmonton AM this week. For me, I think I really think this is about me and, and my relationship with the Muslim community. And I, and I think that that was important. That's important to me. It, it wasn't actually years till I started to realize kind of the, the effect of the policy. It was after I, I mean, we as a government, we lost uh, the election in 2015. I lost my seat. And uh, it really gave me an opportunity to talk to more Canadians who that were outside of sort of the, the political partisan bubble that so many of us sort of get accustomed to being a part of as MPs and ministers. In having those conversations, I would talk to so many people who would say that, you know, they agree with us in so many things as the government, as a party, but had this feeling that somehow we didn't like them, or especially with Muslim Canadians saying that we felt alienated, we felt that you were trying to say that we didn't belong as Canadians. And so I, I at that time, started to feel that, okay, we, we made a mistake in, in bringing forward a policy that alienated a certain part of our population. And so in private conversations, I always, I had um, conveyed my regret and saying, yeah, you know, I, I should not, I should, I could have spoken out um, stronger against that. Um, I was the minister, I was at the table. But when this, you know, this terrorist attack, the, the, the family of four were killed um, uh, in, in London, Ontario, and so many of us reached out to our, our Muslim friends or Muslim community leaders to talk to them, to uh, let them know that we're here for you, that we let's have a dialogue on how we can ensure that every Canadian feels safe. I felt like, you know, that this part that, you know, so many people have felt that um, contributed to them be feeling alienated, that I should at least be public about it, that I, um, my, my regret about it. And so that's why I made the public uh, put it up on Facebook and other social media. I think it did contribute to the misunderstanding um, of sort of casting a shadow over a community. I regret my role in it, and I, and I want to be, play a stronger part in um, ensuring that, you know, we have better conversations with Canadians of all different backgrounds. Anytime you're coming out with something like this, you have people that agree with you and then many others that will come out and and then say, well, you should never apologize and that kind of thing. And I'm never voting for you now because you apologize. So this has nothing to do with the the politics or or the, the vote count for myself. This really is about, you know, if I'm going to sincerely work with um, the Muslim community and other communities, I have to be honest about, you know, my past, um, about uh, the policies that I've supported and, and how I feel about them now. I mean, uh, I, I think for him to, to be able to come out and, and talk about that freely now, uh, I, I can't even imagine what it must have been like back then uh, being in that government. Tim Upple, he wears a turban. He has yeah. a long beard. And so I'm sure, you know, he growing up, he has felt maybe some of the things that we have seen going on in our community right now. But yeah. I think to try and push against maybe a belief that the party held and to be the only one trying to chip away at that. I mean, I think that's a big mountain to climb. Yeah. So I would give him a little bit bit of the benefit of the doubt of trying to, you know, convince others that this change needs to happen. And this was several years ago. A lot has changed since then. It's true. 2015, 
like when I think about where I was in yeah. 2015, it's things have come a long way. Um, he and also Michelle Rempel have come forward to state apologies for their involvement with this policy. Kenny was asked if he wanted to apologize right. or update his own comments um, at a press this week. He said he'd never tried to regulate what people wear with respect to religion or belief. So yeah. there are now some more calls for Kenny to make a statement, especially considering what we've seen. But um, I mean, it's interesting to think of the way that governments take the lead or don't, maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, I think governments need to take the lead on this and set an example of tolerance uh, because, you know, that will reflect uh, hopefully to the public that the government is taking this seriously and is backing these communities up. Uh, and so maybe it'll make that, that person think differently before they decide to attack somebody on the street or go and spray paint something on somebody's mosque or, or temple or what have you, right? Yeah. Um, I think the governments certainly have to take a lead. And, and maybe, you know, in 2015, was, it, was that the right time to do it? Uh, I mean, in hindsight, I think it would have been because it may have laid the, the groundwork uh, to maybe avoid some of the situations we have now. Yeah. But now I feel that we're playing catch up. And so now, uh, you know, it's almost reactionary to some of the events that are happening. I mean, what happened in London? Absolutely horrific, terrible, should never have happened. I mean, I think these things could have been avoided if, if maybe legislation wasn't in place uh, a little earlier. It's the movement from reacting to things that happen to turning that reaction into an actual action to prevent it, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think those questions and those conversations, especially in non-Muslim communities right now, they're, they're starting those conversations about being better, about how to be better and come together to support yeah. the Muslim community and just the community in general, because we're such a diverse place. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's great what I've seen on Twitter. Yeah. You know, people coming uh, from all all stripes, from all different backgrounds. I, I think the support has been overwhelming in, in Edmonton because people know that this city, this that, that's not what this city is about. Yeah. And it is important now that they've started to kind of keep those conversations going, because, mm -hmm. as you said, it's not what Edmonton is about, but it is a problem that we're facing here. It is. Yeah. Um, and Salima Versi is a psychotherapist here who specializes in working with Muslim women and queer people. And she is also the co-founder of the Muslim Feminist Collective. Hi, Salima. Hi. First off, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. How are you doing? Uh, mostly just really tired. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, tell me a bit about the Muslim Feminist Collective. How did that start and what is the work that you guys do in Edmonton? Yeah, um, so the Muslim Feminist Collective started a couple years ago. Uh, myself and my co-founder, Sophia, were just finding that a lot of the existing Muslim organizations didn't cater well to the needs of, first, a, a very diverse Muslim population. So a Muslim population that includes folks from all over the world and um, people of very different interpretations about Islam and um, very different understandings of how that fits with our day-to-day -day lives. Um, and so part of it was to allow for a really intersectional approach where we brought all of our varying identities. Um, and the other thing that we just found was missing was a lot of grassroots work, right? Like community building work, solidarity building work, um, a sense of the ways in which our our oppressions, our marginalizations, our intersections um, overlap with those of others. Um, and the idea that all of our liberation is bound together. And so, yeah, that's that's how the collective started. And it's been a really, really wonderful, but very difficult journey. Yeah. <laughs> difficult. I mean, I can only imagine. You mentioned already how tired you are. It's been a difficult last couple of weeks, even just this week alone for Muslim communities across Canada and especially here in Edmonton. What are your clients in your community telling you about how they're feeling right now? 
Yeah, I, I honestly think exhaustion is the one that keeps coming up. Like everybody is tired, right? It's been bare minimum a year solid of just hit, like hit after hit after hit, right? So, yeah. I mean, really since last summer and the Black Lives Matter movement cresting in the ways that it did. Um, and then, yeah, like I, I think it just it's just been continuous, right? In the last few weeks in particular, I think... Um, you know, with the end of Ramadan and Palestine and then, yeah, these attacks and, you know, even finding out about um, the graves of the residential schools and because and, all of those things are connected for us and all of the folks that we work with in community see those issues as interconnected. And so it's it's been a lot. People are really tired. <laughs> and I think there's just a lot of um, anger right now. Like uh, people are frustrated Um and then the other one is just people are scared, right? Like I, I work with Muslim women. A lot of my psych practice is uh, black Muslim hijabi women. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of fear. And that's clearly very well-founded fear, right? Like that's what the last few weeks have shown us, that it's not for nothing that we're afraid. Yeah. And I mean, the last few weeks is one thing. Even thinking four years ago was the attack mm-hmm. on a, a mosque in Quebec, mm-hmm. right? I mean... What do you tell clients when they express that? How how are you working to support Muslim women through this? Yeah, so I mean, my role is sort of this dual role, right? So I have the community organizing activism work that I do through the collective. Um, and from that front, we do a lot of like on the ground immediate support. So for example, we had like a healing circle yesterday for a small group of Muslim women. And so that's part of what I do. And then the other thing is that I have a psych practice that specializes in working with Muslim women and and women of color and queer folks. And so a lot of it is just making space for people to feel the way they feel. Like so often Muslim women have to go out into the world and they kind of have to strap on this armor of like, I am strong, I am brave, I am okay. And put on a smile and be extra kind and extra nice. And so a lot of my work is just letting them decompress and be angry and and cry and be mad about the fact that they have to curtail their lives and think about safety and only go out with their kids during the day in public places. And, you know, like, and the, the anger that comes from having your life impinged on in those ways. Right. And, and so a lot of it is just making room for that and, and making room for the realities that, yeah, we still have to do those things because it's not safe. You were interviewed last week and asked if you thought the London attack would be a turning point for Islamic hate. And, you know, I I mean, it's less than a week later. We've seen another attack in Edmonton. Um, Tuesday, we heard of a vandalism on a mosque in the city. Mm -hmm. How do you think we solve this problem for real and for the long term now? Yeah, I mean, I think I know we want quick solutions. Mm -hmm. And there are some, like I think defunding police and funding community and funding stronger mental health care and well-grounded, religiously, culturally supportive mental health is really important. And those are things we could do right away, really. Um, And then I think there are other solutions that are long-term, right? Like, it has to do with the reality. Like, when you look at the man who perpetrated the London attack, you're looking at someone who's grown up entirely post-9-11. And the coverage of Muslims in the period since then has been of a particular kind, right? Like, it's been very negative. It's been really filled with a lot of um, accusations and a lot of misperceptions. And that's not stuff you change overnight, right? That takes education curricula that are 
understanding, that are empathetic, that are compassionate, that are inclusive. It requires media coverage that is more well-rounded. And I know we've started to make strides in that direction, and I appreciate that. But those are long-term moves, right? And that takes time. And so, yeah, I think it's a combination of both. So some of it is that immediate stuff, right, of of where do we put our funding and where are we choosing to to create supports and community? And the other stuff is the long-term work. You mentioned the weight that is carried in these situations by Muslim women, by Black Muslim women. How do we as a broader Edmonton community take action and take the onus off of Muslim people and women specifically to protect themselves from these situations? Yeah, so I really need people to have these conversations at their kitchen tables. Like, I think it's so, so important that we stop expecting Muslims, Muslim women, Black women, Indigenous people to do the labor of teaching everyone. Like, this work has been happening for so long. And like I said, like, our communities are tired. Like, there's only so much we can take on. And so I think the most effective way to be an ally, to show up, to to prove that people are actually committed to making this better is to have those really hard conversations at your own table with the people that you are closest to, because those are people that I can't reach. Right. And, and that's where it matters. After the last couple of weeks, are you seeing or hearing about those conversations starting? Do you think we're even just starting to move in the right direction? I mean, I think I had that sense last summer after the murder of George Floyd. Like, I think there was this sense that people were more willing to do that hard, hard stuff of sitting down and self-reflecting and having conversations. But I've been finding that those efforts are usually quite short lived. Right. And so people will go through spurts where they're willing to do it and then it sort of dies off. And so what I would encourage people to do is to continue having those conversations even when they feel exhausting. Because I promise, no matter how tiring it feels for you, the communities that are affected are more tired. And so it really is about picking it up and having that conversation every day, all the time, because that's how change happens. June is a really big moment for thousands of high school grads right across Edmonton. Most high schools in the public system are actually holding outdoor graduation ceremonies this year Mm -hmm. instead of just kind of the virtual computer ones we've been seeing. And just over 150 grads from Vimy Ridge Academy did that last week at Remax Field of all places. And man, you actually got to see it happen. You know, the irony is I was thinking about this because my daughter's going from grade 9 to grade 10 and Mm -hmm. there was a drive-through grad. And so I was thinking about high school grads like last year and this year and then Lo and behold, we get sent to Remax Field, and nice. uh, yeah, myself and uh, cameraman Manuel were we were a little underdressed. I felt a, a little sheepish. But you knew you were going to a grad, and you didn't dress up. Well, I Man. know I didn't think I needed to dress up, but uh, I'll tell you what, everybody there dressed to the nines, looked oh, yeah. amazing. You know, new suits, shiny leather shoes, uh, beautiful dresses and gowns. I mean, it was. Uh, it was amazing to see, and it was during the week where we had rain for five days, straight days, and it was just absolutely gross. And then on the Friday, blue skies, sunshine. I mean, it's perfect. Yeah, it you was. You could not time it better. It was perfect, and I mean, you know, I, I think the sense of being able to uh, accomplish, uh, you know, 
uh, to be able to graduate yeah. under the circumstances uh, in the pandemic, you know, first in class, then online, uh, then back in class and, and all those other cha- challenges. I think, you know, yeah. I think it's a great achievement for these kids as well as the teachers who help them get to this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Point. Right. And so um, when we were down there, uh, the first first kid across the stage, his name is Bilal Ali. And, uh, you know, he me- he made sure he mentioned to me during the interview honor student and uh, he worked really hard to achieve that. He's also a gymnast because Vimy Ridge is about half day school, ha- half day academics, half day sport. Right. And so he's on a, uh, I think a national team in Alberta. So uh, he's Go an up and coming gymnast. Yeah, absolutely. And so here is Bilal on what it meant to be the first person across that stage, the temporary stage on, on the, the, in the infield at Remax uh, field. And, uh, you know, what it means to be able to share this in person with his loved ones, including his parents, Ahmed and uh, Ola Sharif Ali. Yeah, it was a surreal, you know, type of feeling, especially, you know, knowing that last year's grads, you know, they didn't get anything really, especially only like a virtual thing, right? So even if it's like five people and not, you know, the people we get to pick, it's still, it's still a type of grad, right? And it's like in a baseball stadium, so that was pretty sick, right? So, yeah, it's exciting stuff. I, I am holding my tears all the time. It's uh, it's an emotional uh, moment, and I'm so proud of uh, Bilal. I, I, I usually call him uh, from young age, hero, my hero Bilal, and now he's my hero. <laughs> yeah, I'm so proud of him. Yeah, that's, that's great. I wish I wish for him uh, the best uh, future. Uh, I pray uh, that. He will be blessed in his uh, future, inshallah. Yeah. yeah, I think it was a good luck. We did not expect the weather to be like this. And also it was surprising to me to be in this place. I did not know beforehand. I was driving to the school and then I found myself here. <laughs> so it was a good experience, yeah. I love how you can hear how proud parents are oh, yeah. when they talk about Mom was proud. Oh, I love it. And yeah. I think it's such a cool idea. Like, I remember going to games in Remax Field. Like, what a location, just the backdrop of the River Valley. Pretty. But I, I'm trying to picture what an actual grad there looked like. So can you can you help me visualize yeah. what that is? So basically, along the first baseline, if you're standing at home plate looking down to first base, mm-hmm. um, just past Got first base. Closed. Yeah, there you go. There okay. was a temporary stage with a cover. Okay. I mean, it's kind of like a, one of those stages you go to a concert uh, you oh, know, yeah. uh, at even Folk Fest or whatever. So it wasn't massive, but it was enough, big enough to come across, get your diploma, look over at family who were sitting in the uh, suites d- just behind the first baseline. And so they were being able to take oh. pictures and pose. And then they would come down the stairs, walk uh, down past first base. And there was a spot there that said Vimy uh, Academy or Vimy Grad. They'd pose for a picture. Uh, the setup was slick. There's no doubt about it. And there's some, certainly some planning going on. But I think yeah. all the schools in the Edmonton Public School System had a chance to have an outdoor grad uh, for their students. So uh, this is what Vimy came up with. Here's school principal uh, Jillian Marino and teacher Jamie Wilson on what went into making all of this a reality and just how important the day was for the kids, families, as well as staff. You know, we've learned a lot through this pandemic, and there's some keepers. And this just might be a keeper. Uh, you know, weather pending, but we've got it covered. And the Every day, every year we have a grad like this, the kids are nervous, they're excited, they're anxious, they want to look their best. And so they come up and they come across the stage, they're not sure how they hit that X and then they get their diploma, we move their tassel and it's a big moment and the parents get to take a picture. And This just really came together, you know. Um, our partners at Remax Field have done a beautiful job, they've been renovating, they've been exciting for the opening and we're so happy to be able to work with them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so special. It's, it's, these kids have been uh, put through some pretty tough times here. 
and it's really nice to be able to celebrate something positive here and again having a bit more normalcy around our graduation and something to celebrate and share this time with everyone rather than being six feet apart and uh, doing it at our own house. So, you know, a couple of things jumped out at me when I was talking to Jamie. Yeah. These kids have been put through these tough times, and it certainly has. I couldn't imagine having to learn under this kind of climate. Oh, and going uh, back and forth yeah. from home to school. No, and... The stability of it all is just kind of yep. mind-boggling, but uh, some of these kids have done amazing under the circumstances, and, and it was just such a great setup. And just to put it into perspective, so they were doing five kids at a time. They had 150 grads, so they repeated that process 30 times. I, pay, I passed grade 12 math, so I'm glad I was able to do that calculation. <laughs> I'm they, really impressed, actually. You did it quite went, quick. They went from 11 till 8 at night. Oh, my god! I think they went right up until 8. That That's was a the, full day affair. Yeah, that is a full day. And it was hot that day. So um, kudos to everybody who, who uh, did that and, and got through that. And, and also to the, to the Edmonton Riverhawks and the group. Uh, and they're planning other events for the summer, including like symphony orchestra and maybe some musical stuff. So, yeah. so a place in the city we can finally get back to. Yeah, definitely. And they have seating for 9,200, which I didn't know. Whew. So, I mean, I think grads might happen there. All Especially of the from Vimy Ridge, yeah, maybe all of the grads <laughs> will happen there for sure. And it's great that they were able to save that park because it is a, it is a nice little piece of Edmonton right in the River Valley. So it is Pride Month in the city, which is usually marked by huge parties and celebrations. Min, have you ever been to a Pride party? Well, I've been to a parade yeah. down on White Ave back in the day and yeah. uh, we took the kids when they were younger so what yeah. did they think of it well they were a little young so they kind of just figured it was a parade and it looked fun and it people fun. were blowing whistles and you know there was bubbles and stuff so it was good bubbles are great i actually did see a driving <laughs> pride parade the other day and they were shooting bubbles out of the car windows and yeah i don't think you can have a <sighs> pride parade without bubbles made my day but i mean right now though we're not at kind of a party in the streets level of reopening of course yeah um, but for pride month we're going to talk coming out stories Okay. Uh, and Ashita Verma is a researcher here at CBC and spoke to a few Edmontonians to hear theirs. Hey, Ashita. Hey, Claire. So why did you want to focus on coming out stories? Um, it's something that that's always stuck with me when whenever my friends would tell me about their experience, they kind of drew on that as their starting point. So I just wanted to see that perspective from other people because everyone has such a different coming out story. It's never the same. Yeah. And sometimes it's really heartbreaking and yeah. other times it's like, yes, you're you're you. <laughs> it is that like pivotal moment though, right? Like yeah. it it's very different and it's very emotionally charged, but it is kind of a moment where no matter how long it took you to get there and no matter how far you've come away from it, it can really stick in your mind. What kind of stories did people tell you? Mostly about the first times they came out to their parents. Right. And the reason I say first time is because they never stop coming out because for them, they're always ex having to explain themselves. So the first time that they did come out to someone, it was usually their parent and then kind of dealing with that emotional backlash, whether they'd accept you, whether, you know, it would go in a completely different direction too. So yeah, the fact that it's never the same mm -hmm. and they all have such different stories, it's it's crazy. Yeah. No, it really is. And I mean, we'll hear just a few of the voices that you spoke to in a second, but it's a different kind of pride this year. You know, we're not out celebrating. The flags are on everyone's front porches, but the parades are pretty minimal. Yeah. They sort of lose that sense of community, too. Yeah. It makes a difference, right? Mm-hmm. 
what thoughts did this give you about Pride this year? And, and these conversations, what kind of takeaways did you have? I mean, I've always told people that, oh, I'm an ally. You can trust me. I'm safe. But actually putting that into action was really difficult this year because seeing how they're coping with it mentally themselves, Mm -hmm. because they have that sense of loneliness. But at the same time, there are so many things like virtual events where they can connect with other people. Yeah, it was it was difficult because I I can help them, but yeah. at the same time, I can't hug them. <laughs> yeah, I, the lack of hugs is pretty hard. And in their conversations too, it's interesting to note this feeling of we've come a long way, but there's also still a long way to go, right? Yeah, and this year Edmonton reached the 40 years from the Pisces bathhouse. And for a lot of people in the community, that kick-started pride in the city. So reaching that milestone was amazing and the fact that we've come so far from that is incredible but the fact that so many people are still struggling to come out and they're worried about acceptance that's heartbreaking (laughs) you know that's what makes you think like oh god we've spent 40 years on this let's just move on now let's like get on with it let's normalize it already so my name is Selena Campbell um I use she her pronouns It took me a long time to figure out that I was bisexual, first of all. I, for some reason, thought that you could only be gay or straight. So for a number of years, I was really, really having trouble figuring out where I fit with my identity. So I decided I was going to tell my parents. This was the big coming out. And yeah, I told them. They actually thought that I was going to say I'm bisexual and I have a girlfriend now, or I'm bisexual, and I experience this type of discrimination. So they actually didn't get that that was the news, because they didn't see it as news. <laughs> so it went really well. My my mom actually used that opportunity of my coming out to come out to me as bisexual. So they're very accepting of the partners that I have now, which is huge, huge to me. It's a relief to know that I always have like a loving environment to fall back on. Hey there, uh, my name is Chris David. I go by he, him. So at the age of 10, I was aware of my attraction to men. I didn't know what it meant. Um, but at the age of 12, I heard all the homophobic slurs and witnessed the dangers of being gay. I was nervous to tell my mom, who supported me my whole life with no dad. Uh, my biological father showed aggression to LGBT men. So in my head, I was in disbelief. I was a gay man. I first told my best friend. She was a bit shocked and she wasn't really sure what uh, this had meant at the time. But after many long chats, like eight hours a day phone conversations, she became one of my number one supporters. Something about uh, coming out is it's made me uh, be able to live kind of like my true life. A new journey kind of opened and it's led me you know, to where I am today. My name is Allison Thompson, she, her. I would say the the first time I came out, I was concerned about things not going well. So the first people I came out to were people I weren't really close with. I was kind of prepared for them to walk out on me if they didn't accept and uh, not be too crushed by it. And I did end up losing some of them and um, some of them stayed. You know, it, it's it's complicated. You know, it's, it's your sad for losing a friend, but 
if you've come to terms with who you are and they're not going to stick around, then you just have to come to terms with them leaving. When I was coming out for the first bit and, you know, I, I was still kind of closeted, pride meant I can see people like me, people who have also had to think about, am I going to get attacked on the street for existing today? It's solidarity, you know, no one is there thinking that the, that the battle's won and everything's good, but it's knowing you're not alone. I think it's very important to acknowledge that the reason that we have pride today is because of black uh, and brown trans women of color. Um, these people really started the movement and worked for liberation for all. Pride also means survival. You know, this is a world where in 75 countries being homosexual is a crime. We have it very good here in Canada. Pride should be about more than our immediate circumstances. Pride should be about the entire community. Pride is a day to show your true colors and it's a day to uh, really feel accepted in the families that we weren't accepted in. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And our team is Min Dariwal, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, Christina Silva, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Claire Bonnyman. Thank you so much for listening. There's always so much more to know, so you can get into the loop with us every Friday. You can also leave us a rating or a review wherever you get the show. Or if you want to get in touch, we have an email. It's theloop at cbc.ca. Use the hashtag theloopcbc on social media or reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Mindariwal. Very easy. I'm at Nami Nob. I wonder if that throws people for a loop every time they hear that. I think it throws you for a loop every time It does. It. Follow the show on CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.